State of the Industry podcast. This episode is brought to you by KP Movement Education, your source for health and movement education and coaching. Whether you are a health or fitness professional, a fitness consumer, or perhaps a passive bystander, KP believes that everyone deserves the right to pain-free movement. That's why their memberships and services are designed to educate, empower, and inspire you to create a culture of movement for yourself and those around you. With two membership options, you'll find education surrounding developing at-home training programs for yourself or for others, mental health and exercise, lifestyle medicine, and much, much more. Check it out at kineticperformance.ca backslash memberships. That's kineticperformance.ca backslash memberships. Welcome back to the State of the Industry podcast. I am your host, Adam Youngsma. This week, I had the opportunity to speak with somebody who has a position that most Canadian strength and conditioning coaches would die for. He is the strength and conditioning coordinator for the San Jose Sharks, Mike Potenza. Mike is currently in his 15th season as the San Jose Sharks strength and conditioning coordinator. He's responsible for the team's overall strength and conditioning programs, including the creation of individualized postseason workout programs and assistance in the rehabilitation efforts for all injured players. Before coming to San Jose, Potenza served as the strength and conditioning coach for the University of Wisconsin men's and women's hockey teams, both of which were the 2006 NCAA national champions. There, he also had the opportunity to work with former Shark Center Joe Pavelski. He has a Bachelor of Science degree in Applied Exercise Science from Springfield College and Master's degree in Human Movement Science from Boston University. Potenza completed an assortment of strength and conditioning coaching and internship experiences before his time at Wisconsin. At the University of Miami in Florida, he served as a weight training speed and post-workout coach for the perennial nationally ranked Hurricanes football team. While earning his master's, Potenza instructed professional amateur and collegiate athletes at Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning. Mike has also been involved in development of some amazing products, including Optimizing Adaptation and Performance, which he co-created with Kevin Neal, the strength and conditioning coach of the Boston Bruins, and James Laval. He is also the president of the Strength and Conditioning Association of Professional Hockey and part of a group that put together ProHockeyStrength.com, a site that houses the best of the best from strength and conditioning coaches across the NHL and AHL. I highly recommend this if you train any level of hockey athletes. Check it out. Once again, that's ProHockeyStrength.com. All right, I've rambled on for long enough. Let's dive right in. Welcome, Mike, to the State of the Industry podcast. How are you today? Doing great, thanks. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on, uh, taking the time to uh, to chat. Uh, really looking forward to this because, well, growing up in Canada, being in Toronto, like it's like, well, we like to call it the Mecca of hockey, right? Like it's the center of the hockey universe for us. And I think every other Canadian city hates us for it, for thinking that, but you know, we, we believe it is, but, uh, you being with the San Jose Sharks for the past 15 seasons, um, you know, having worked with the university of Wisconsin, we're going to touch on some of that stuff as well. Uh, is is phenomenal because now I get to pick your brain a little bit about the sport that I love. Mm -hmm. And I've worked a lot with a lot more soccer players than hockey players, even though I've worked with a fair amount. Um, you know, it's it's been kind of touch and go with regards to whether I've worked with uh, a lot of professional athletes and definitely not a professional team in that sport. So I want to actually start off. Uh, how did you get into working with hockey? Like, what was your path towards working with hockey athletes? Um, I'll kind of give you the, the full timeline, if you will, you know, and, and um, kind of give you an idea of kind of how it was climbing up the ladder. Um, I went to Springfield College in Western Massachusetts uh, and got my degree in exercise science. And that location was been known amongst other schools um, 
to produce a lot of strength coaches. They have a real strong exercise science strength and conditioning program. They have a strength and conditioning master's program. They have a strength and conditioning PhD program. And, you know, for the, for the performance athletic sciences, it's one of the best places, you know, athletic mm-hmm. trainers are it, it, great athletic training program and great kinesiology program and, and such, and, and a great sports, med, uh, sports management business program. So, yeah. Um, so there you're actually integrated as a student with the teams. It's a division three school, but the athletes train like they're division one, which is yeah. pretty cool. So you get a lot of observing observance experience early on freshman, sophomore year that's built in the, into the program. And then as you get to be older, you may even have a chance to, to assist or direct a team. You get a, a team assigned, you know, cause mm-hmm. there's only, there's a director of performance who's also the department head academically. Okay. So they really have to lean on their master's GA positions to become the head strength coaches of the major teams. Football is yeah. a major team, basketball is a major team, um, baseball is a major team there and, and, and such. So field hockey is a major team. So those people are put in those roles as the master students directing the teams. And then your, your undergraduates are there to assist. So you get this amazing experience. Uh, and I worked with all teams. We didn't have hockey there. It was a club sport, but mm-hmm. you know, I always had the passion for the game and played from nine years old to 12 years old and then played different sports in high school and actually played soccer through that whole time and played soccer at Springfield. Yeah. Um, but always loved, loved hockey. One of my experiences, one of my internships in the summer of 98 was at BU. Um, I, was, I was hired for the internship uh, by Glenn Harris. Glenn Harris is still the director there. Um, great friend and mentor. Glenn was Mike Boyle's first assistant at BU. Oh, okay. um, yeah. And took over the reins when Mike, obviously, um, Mike was just doing hockey at the time. Glenn was, was the director. And then obviously Mike's business has exploded and he, he's moved on, obviously. Um, yeah and become much busier so um but with when you're at bu hockey is king you know and i and i took that internship the summer after they got rid of football so Mm. you know basketball was the big other big sport on campus and um so got a little hockey experience there working for mike privately i got a lot of hockey experience with all the pros college guys and american league guys that were there and you know I, i i guess my experiences at Springfield, while that was my kind of big hockey one, the following summer was at the International Performance Institute, which became Exo, um, Athletes Performance with Mark Verstegen, then became Exos, obviously yeah. with Mark Verstegen. That's where I met Brandon Marcello. He okay. was my uh, intern director. Great experience. That was the summer of 99. And then my second semester of my senior year, I was at the University of Miami, so with football and baseball, right? Yeah. So I was kind of groomed you know, just because of the nature of the structure of college strength and conditioning, that's where all the jobs were at at this point, right? At least my career, it was some private, not many, um, and no military at the time. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a a point I'll bring up, which military performance is exploding right now. You know, it would be foolish for a young professional not to look into that, whether it be in Canada or whether it be in the U.S., you know, um, they're great opportunities and they're great athletes to work with. So, yeah. Um, so, so I was kind of groomed for, okay, you're going to be a first assistant somewhere. It's going to be working under the guise of football and you're going to have these other teams. You may work under football, but also have basketball, or you may have a head basketball job, or you may have the head baseball job and you have other team responsibilities. Right. Mm -hmm. So after Springfield, I went to work at Harvard for seven months with a good friend and mentor, Sean Hayes, who's at Georgia. Now he was the head guy at Harvard. Um, we worked with all the sports kind of got brought back into the hockey fold, really good team there, both for men's and women's hockey. Mm-hmm. And then I took a job right after that at the university, uh, Colgate university in upstate New York. And that was for four months. That was a higher level position. That's why I went to that, um, university. Yep. Um, but simultaneously the university of Wisconsin was looking for a hockey position, but they weren't going to hire till the end of the season. It was Mike Eves's first year coaching there. John Hines was the assistant coach who was a BU grad and knew Mike Boyle. So that kind of set the stage for me to apply at yeah. the, end of the Badgers first season, which I was at Colgate. So it was another great step when I was offered the Wisconsin job to, to fall into just a hockey role, men's and women's yeah. hockey. And my other two teams were wrestling and softball. So um, I, I look, I've been blessed and, and had a lot of gifts in my professional career and 
taking that job was absolutely one of them. It, it was the it was the biggest responsibility I had at the time. But I worked with some amazing coaches, you know, mm-hmm. Barry Davis on the wrestling side, who was a, you know, a medalist at the Pan Am Games and an Olympian. Um, tremendous softball coaches. Uh, every team worked hard. Mark Johnson uh, was was is, is currently still the women's coach. Um, I had Mike Eves. Uh, Mike Eves is now uh, coaching the American League, but we had some amazing coaches, and it was it was great for my career mm-hmm. to have that much responsibility and those great coaches to kind of learn from, mentor from, and and um, yeah, experience that whole time with. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's all. That's a lot of, um, and I always look back on my own career, and when I speak with other trainers, strength and conditioning coaches, uh, entrepreneurs, whatever, I always get them to kind of look back at kind of how things have progressed through. And there's, you can always kind of link things together and the people that you still talk to, the mentors that you had through all of that, like they kind of, you kind of see their, their guidance, like their hand kind of through a lot. Like you mentioned, Mike Boyle as being one of those people for you, right? Like that's, um, yeah, I found That's a lot. Amazing. <laughs> there's, there's, you know, and it's, it's tough for me not to show some sort of appreciation because every step of the way, it's some, it seems like there was another, you know, angel on my shoulder or, or a mentor there to, to help me along the way. And, and, you know, when you, that's that, like, that's my network. Like that's a, that's yeah. a strong piece of my network and learning avenue right now is to, you know, I still stay in touch with every single one of those people that I just mentioned, you, you yeah. know? to figure out, you know, problems I'm having, you know, challenges, maybe advancements, you know, but you know, you need that coaching kind of relationship to lean on sometimes. Yeah. Or to cry on sometimes, maybe many times. Yeah, that's fair. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask about the, if you can give me one story, because it's, it's always fascinating when I speak to a professional strength and conditioning coach who works with, you know, professional athletes uh, and not just, kind of at the, you know, uh, kind of smaller level where it's off season and they're br- like athletes are coming from all over the place, but with a specific team and working with one team, can you give me, um, you know, a really cool story that you have from your time and kind of what kind of transpired there? Like something that really inspired you or, or kind of got yeah. to you a little bit. Um, you know, there's, there's been a, a lot of aha moments for me professionally and and you know there's some cool moments where you're like okay like you're you're here you know like you're you're working in professional sports and and um i'm not awestruck by i, I wasn't awestruck by it you know early early on that there was only a, the one story that i was like okay this is pretty damn cool nostalgically and and being a fan of the game is uh it's my first year my first road trip to detroit um, playing the Red Wings, um, had some downtime before morning skate and I'm sitting on the bench and, and taking in Joe Lewis arena, you know, and, and knowing the history of it and knowing the history of the team, I'm looking up in the rafters and then you see all the Stanley cup banners and you see a ton of retired players, like, you know, big names, like hall of fame names. And, yeah. um, you know, very much equivalent to the same thing you would see at the bell center for the Montreal Canadians. Right. So yeah. looking up, and I hear a voice and, and uh, the voice says, uh, pretty impressive, eh? And I didn't look at to see who said it, but I know it wasn't somebody that was I was working with at the time, you know? Mm-hmm. And I kept looking up and, and I said, yeah, pretty damn impressive. A lot of history up there. And I turn and it's Gordie Howe. And <laughs> I said, Mr. Howe, you, you're, you have a, a lot to do with what's up there. And he goes, yeah, it was a, it was a fun ride. And, you know, it was pretty cool. And that was pretty much the, the end of the conversation. He walked away and I walked by him and shook his yeah. hand. But, but to see like passing Stan Makita and Bobby Hull in the, in the hallway in Chicago is, is awesome. Right. And yeah, we have a close relationship with the 49ers. So um, our head athletic trainer was an assistant athletic trainer for the 49ers in their heyday, the Joe Montana okay. and the Jerry Rice days. So those guys come in and out and, and mm-hmm. to shake their hand and, and talk with them and, you know, it's cool to have them look at, you know, what we're doing now and be like, man, this is, you know, this is really far ahead of what we did, you know? It's like, yeah. 
cigarettes in the locker room in between periods, <laughs> cokes for uh protein shakes you know Coca-Cola. Yeah. so yeah yeah very different very different and that's actually is a good segue into my my kind of big first question is so what is the biggest thing over your career and let's just let's stick to kind of your time in hockey so mm-hmm. from the University of Wisconsin days all the way up to uh, your time with the Sharks, what's the biggest thing that you have seen change in kind of what you do and how you do it? And it might maybe it's a couple things, but yeah, um, I, I think I I think you know it's been self inflicted. So there's just a there's a need once you start getting deeper than the surface. There's such a need for individualized individualized programs and, and and i know that can be a look i was raised on this profession and trying to understand how to manage large groups of athletes when there's one strength coach right yeah. that's fair that's that's that happens that's an environment you got to be able to you know balance manage coach in negotiate whatever right so now i come to the nhl and i'm still i don't have four teams of 25 athletes i got yeah. one team of 25 athletes I got to worry about another team of 25 athletes that's all the way across on the East coast at the time, because our American league team was there. Yeah. And we don't, I didn't have a strength coach there at the time. I was going out every other month to, you know, check in on the guys and I was sending them workouts that the athletic trainer would post on the dry erase board. So, Mm -hmm. and then you got prospects to kind of keep an eye on plan for. So, so I, I, I start getting deeper and deeper and deeper. I'm like, Oh my God, like there's a, there's a, there's a lot to this. Like, there's as much to this as you want it to be, right? Yeah. So yeah. that's where I, I, I've I, I made a decision. Okay, I, I, I'm going to appreciate the individual players' needs from a biomechanical standpoint. Like who, whose whose movement profile has some red flags that I need to account for in their training program, right? Yeah. And and from a standpoint of strength training maintenance in season or, or maintaining high levels of, uh, you know, the hockey athletic qualities that we want. How am I going to program for that? It's not going to be three sets of 10. It's not going to be three sets of eight. It's not going to be five singles, you, you know, like there's going to have to be these buckets that we constantly monitor and make sure we get according to the schedule. Right. Yeah. It's going to be perfect. And, and so that's kind of, that's kind of the biggest thing, in my career that I, I, I wanted to account for. Because again, on top of all that, you have a span of four, I have a 40 year old, I had two 41 year old players. Yeah. Until Joe went to Toronto. <laughs> yeah. And then I have 18 year old players. Yeah. So that's a, that's a 20 year, little, little more than a 20 year span of abilities, training qualities, um, injury histories, you know, maybe development needs. Yeah. So I have to account for that And one blanket program is not going to do that, you know, um, and maybe, you know what, and, and even kind of like a strict assignment of a particular training quality is not going to cover that. If I have young guys who need to develop, you know, size and put some more weight on and get stronger, I can't just do hypertrophy with them. There's yeah. just so many facets that we can't, there's so many other plates that we can't not leave spinning. <laughs> yeah. You know, so yeah, and I know, um, you know, because we've been, we've talked about Mike Boyle a little bit, but uh, like I know his his big thing. Like he, I remember once I sat down at a Perform Better conference and he was speaking. He's like, "There's no such thing as a maintenance phase. Like maintenance maintenance doesn't exist specifically in like high level athletics. You you can't just maintain because then you're actually falling behind everybody who's yeah. who's still progressing. And even if it's small little progressions, mm-hmm. right." Yeah. I, I hate, I hate that. Yeah. I, I, I make, I actually, um, Kevin Neal and I produced a video about optimizing adaptations. And one of my things is, is I said exactly that, like, yeah, you have to worry about monotony in, in season. And, and I hate the word maintenance because maintenance kind of feeds into the monotony. Yeah. Maintenance says to the athlete, we're just going to come up here, check the box off and leave, but that you, you can't do that. You have to have times of stimulus. Right. Yeah. And there's enough monotony going on in their players' lives and, and schedules that we have to bring that variety in a way, but also physically give them variety so that their engine is, is, is functioning at a high level. So, Yeah. And so 
when you're looking at something like, let's just stick with in season for a second, because off season um, is, is a little bit different in kind of how you're prone. You can put a little bit more intensity into that a little bit more uh, time into that, but with, with the schedules that you have and specifically when you're looking at the shortened seasons that we're probably going to have coming up this year and the games basically being every other night, mm-hmm. there's it's, it's difficult, right? So that idea of like, well, maybe we just maintain them in that time. Like that way might be kind of one way of thinking about it. But so how do you, within that, how do you track your athletes, their, their readiness and their workload throughout the season mm-hmm. in order to make sure that, what you're then adding onto it is not kind of pushing them too far and maybe putting them more at risk for, for injury or decreased performance. Right. Um, okay. There's a couple, couple ways I'm going to answer it. Right. It's a couple of facets. So I guess um, yeah. the biggest cost is what you do on the ice. Right. So how intense the game is going to be, how hard practice is going to be. Right. So I'll, we'll look at that. And I, I do heart rate monitoring. I don't have a catapult system, um, but would love one, you know, um, in addition to what we monitor internally. Mm-hmm. So if we look at what we do from a practice standpoint, we really have to, as a coach with the coaching staff, we have to plan, okay, how hard are we going the day before a game? You know, yeah. it's proven when we do um, that we're not good. Yeah. You know? We're not good long-term. So how do we hit that sweet spot of intensity and, and, how we achieve that is showing the coaches the data, knowing the sweet spot and knowing that, okay, we can do on a workload scale of one to 10, we can do a six practice the day before a game and have one of the drills be really intense to feed that animal, you know? Yeah. So we we keep our identity, we keep our technique on the ice and then we keep our tactics, but also we, we, we keep that energy that, that we want to be identified by, when we play against another team, right? Yeah. So we don't have to, to completely overfill that bucket the day before with five hard drills that are gonna, that's going to crush them, right? Yeah. So that's, that's kind of how we tackle that. We do a daily wellness questionnaire. Um, and it's important for me to see how much sleep they've gotten, how, how, how their mood is. Um, are they getting sick or are they trending in that area? Now, the big thing about that is how much there's a big difference between how much sleep you get the night before a practice and then the night after the game. Right. So we found with the simple questionnaire and is that the day after the games guys aren't getting guys are getting two to three hours less sleep. Hmm. So they're going to bed later because they're, and their, their circadian rhythms are flipped, but their sympathetic tone is just through the roof. They're trying to regulate after being in a high, uh, you know, a high stimulus uh, environment, mm-hmm. plus being on caffeine, you know, yeah. throughout the game or for sure prior to the game. So we had, we need to, we have to adjust for that. So we went, to, we, we've taken steps to say, okay, we're not having an 11 o'clock practice the day after a game. Let's go at 1230. Let's mm-hmm. allow the guys to come to the rink later and not have a lot of meetings so that they can sleep in. Yeah. You know? And we kind of self-proved it on the road because when you're on the road, you don't have your ideal practice time. Mm-hmm. You have to take the late time, which is one o'clock. So yeah. you're automatically given, you know, you're automatically accounting for extra sleep. So, and our sleep scores were better on the road. <laughs> so that's kind of how we, we kind of figured that little, you know, riddle, riddle out, if you will. Yeah. Um, the other piece of it, when we monitor in, in, uh, our training, you know, we, we look at jump scores. Uh, we look at how the program is allowing us to maintain our jump scores and not drop below 10%. Our strength lifts of trap bar deadlift, um, bilateral squatting for those who are efficient enough who can, single leg squatting for those who, you know, we think that's a more appropriate, um, or split squatting, uh, yeah. more appropriate uh, variation for them based on their mechanics again, right? So there's yep. a little bit that that layer of individualization. And then upper body pressing, whether that be with a bar or whether that be, you know, with a bent, with the dumbbell. So yep. we monitor those, track those. Um, workouts are built around getting to the heaviest point of, of, that, of that rep range, right? Um, yep. Use gym aware to measure bar velocities 
to help dictate where we're gonna where we're gonna go with load. Um, we're gonna get more into looking at the power function of that gym aware this year, you know, and, and make sure that's maintained. Yeah. So, so we that's what I'm constantly tracking in season, and, and fortunately enough, I have been doing it for about six years now, like really religiously with looking at those in season markers, and we we look at them maybe every three to four weeks. Okay. So, but that but that's the way the workout is shaped to really yeah. look at. Okay, give me your best jump right now, you know, and, and we're going to hit that three to five RM on these strength lifts, you know, at this particular time, you know, yeah. that doesn't mean that on the other weeks that we're not going with some intensity, we do prescribe that in with different variations of, of the lift and whatnot. Yeah. So uh, you, you mentioned sleep and that always like sleep always fascinates me. Uh, and, and yeah, whenever you think like, and I'm not playing professional hockey, but when I go and I've got, you know, a 10 o'clock game or something, my time, right. Which on the road, sometimes if, if, uh, if you're East for a bit and then you go back West, I know you try to maintain your sleep schedule as constant as possible, but like it's, it's probably going to, you're probably going to have some uh, manipulation in that a bit, but when you're monitoring something like sleep, do you have them, uh, is it just a subjective score that they give themselves or are you tracking with technology? Uh, we don't, we're not tracking with technology. Um, they're coming in and, and listing the times that they go to bed. Okay. That gives us the kind of the sleep hours, right? Yeah. Um, there is a rest, uh, sleep quality question, you know, how restful was it? Were you getting up and kind of general? So that does account. Um, for the guys who want to do that stuff, I, 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 I run with them and I push it, you know, yeah. but I don't push it. I don't push whoop or, or a ring or anything fatigue science. I don't, I don't push those as a team mandatory thing. Um, I would, I would love to, but I think there's so much good technology out there and there's so much technology out there that we're not, we're not working with robots or lab rats, you know, yep. uh, they, they do want their freedom. And yep. so I, I take a step back from that and only work with the guys who are really curious and really into it on that side of things. Mm-hmm. HRV, you know, I'd, I'd love to get everybody to do some sort of Omega wave or, or simple HRV test. And times we do, then the injured guys we do. Um, but, but again, that would be the first one I would try to implement on a team basis, but things away from the rink, even questionnaires, I'd rather have them. I don't want to send them a notification because they'll think that they're, you know, the team's eyes are always on them. They get enough of that. You know, and for me to keep, keep this culture going forward in the gym and give them, I guess, a little bit of flexibility and not overwhelm them. I, I kind of pick and choose my spots, you know? Yeah. So um, not to say that those things aren't valuable, but, you know, I think it can be overkill. They may get monitoring fatigue. Mm-hmm. And um, there is a concern amongst the players that the information is going to be used against them, but I have to take a lot of steps to educate them on why we're doing what we're doing and that the information is theirs and they're foolish if they don't look into this information. It's, it's your investment. You know, yeah. I, I always ask them, I'm like, Hey, do you, do you, do you look at your statement on, on your investments, your 401ks or, or, or your stock market investment? They're like, yeah, of course. I sit down with my guy every month. I'm like, well, you know, your body's the investment here. And if it breaks down, then you're done making money. So yeah. you should know these numbers. You should, you should really understand how these numbers, if they're main, if they're maintained and kept at a high level, yeah, then you're going to continue to make money, you know, but once you break down, you're done. There's somebody who's going to fill your spot. You know? So yeah. Yeah. You, you could just say to them, so you, you look at your investments with your guy. Well, I'm your guy for your body. So you're going to come talk to me and exactly. yep. yeah, I love it. Uh, so I, I wanted to go through, because you mentioned a few different tests that you use to kind of, to monitor throughout the year. Uh, so you mentioned jump score, trap bar deadlift, uh, some sort of squat variation, whether it be split squat, uh, single leg squat, or bilateral squat, depending on biomechanics, and then an upper body pressing movement as well. Can you just talk about um, why those specific tests? Um, is it just simplicity, uh, like easy for them to do? Is it kind of low risk? What are the reasons why you use those specific tests? Well, I think that they're... they're pretty much the majority of our primary movements that we want to look at from a, you know, total body performance standpoint. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I really haven't gotten into, you know, it's, I don't look at every single thing that we test in preseason. Um, we started to u- utilize a little bit of the six second Wingate 
as a kind of as a, almost like an explosive exercise, if you will, right? Yeah. You know, there's a lot of talk about maybe using the sled as a more force producing, max force, max strength producing exercise. And I think it's a great idea, you know, for us to look at the Wingate at a certain percentage of their best from preseason, it gives a little bit of variety. It creates a huge amount of stimulus. Um, and, and we can really prescribe it in terms of a power number that we know how to manipulate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the movements, those, those primary movements also are very good or can be utilized well with the gym aware. So okay. we can look at velocity zones and, and, the, and the loading that associated with that and then power outputs and stuff like that. So yeah. it comes to, um, it, it fits, it fits well, you know, yeah. I think the next question is, okay, what's more relevant and, and that's, you know, that that's the, uh, the big factor with the lower body exercises, you know, yeah. guys, you know, guys, some guys like the conventional deadlift, some like sumo trap bar fits our guys a little bit better. Cause we put them in a safe posture, right. Yeah. And, and grip and, you know, uh, Mike likes rear foot elevated, you know, some doesn't do any more bilateral it's fine. You know, um, you know, I, I have always come to love the single leg squat. So that's going to kind of be one of our most important, um, single leg variations. We, we can't get the, the loading is controlled really well, you know, yep. which is, which is good. Um, so, but you know, I think you also, one, you're going to look at your athletes and, and what, what's going to best fit this population of yeah. capabilities. And it's changed, you, you know, it's changed quite a bit. I used to do a lot of over, you know, we used to push jerk with a, with a bar. We used to do barbell snatch and things like that. And for those guys who couldn't, we'd go dumbbell snatch. But right now I can't remember the last time we prescribed the overhead, you know, barbell snatch, Olympic snatch, you know, or, yeah. or, or a push jerk. We're using kettlebell variations, dumbbell variations and things like that. Swing variations that are more safe, yeah. you know, this population. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we, like, I know, um, was doing some work at a facility and, and we were doing a lot originally of, you know, the, the clean and jerk, the, the snatches, those types right. of things. And we're trying to teach young athletes who are probably at a point where they are very uncoordinated because they're growing and we're trying to teach them a variation like that. And you're looking at it like that is, that is ugly. Um, and so, yeah, we kind of moved away from the bar and started using things like, as you are like dumbbells and kettlebells unlocks the side, allows them to have kind of better motion with us. We'll do single arm variations of all of them. And just, yeah, you find a little bit more stability and a little bit more of a, uh, an ability to maximize both sides as opposed to having kind of one arm flailing up and then the other arm slinking down and, yeah, I mean, with my private clients too, some of the high school hockey players slash or, or, or um, in, in baseball players that I'm working with, like there were exercises that I don't put put in their program. But if I know they're going to go to a college or a team that's going to actually look at this stuff, yeah, we're gonna tr- we're gonna we're gonna do it, but a very controlled manner, just so they have the technique down. I don't want them going into it not knowing anything, you know, or not knowing how to execute a lift. Yeah, you know, they, they may just see the Olympic you know, snatch or a hang snatch in our program, just from a teaching standpoint and not get very heavy, you know, yeah. but the technique to go in. And if that strength coach wants to do that, they want to back squat, at least, at least my athlete knows, okay, I know how to execute this and let them, let them take it from there. You know? Yeah. Sending that foundation of, mm-hmm. of patterning. Right. Um, right. Like I know right. I went down to um, Phoenix one year and I, I went to Arizona State University and I, I, I sat down and I spoke with the strength coach, coach there and I went to actually athletes performance. It was athletes yep. performance at the time and kind of toured their facility and had some talks with some of the trainers there. And when I was at Arizona State University, uh, I watched, you know, what the, I, I watched their skill athletes because uh, it was a football team. So their skill athletes doing their lifts and they're, they're doing their their cleans and they're doing their back squats and doing single leg squats. So they're doing a whole bunch of different things in there, their deadlifts. And, uh, you know, I'm talking to him about a little bit of his programming and I'm asking him about specifically about those Olympic lifts. And he said the biggest, like the worst thing that an athlete who's coming into university can do is have been trained poorly on all those lifts and you have to train that out of them Yeah, yeah. because that's a lot harder to do than just teach them how to do the lift. Totally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So I can appreciate what you're saying with your, with your 
private clients, wanting them to get prepared to have the patterning down, but not going heavy. It's like, you know, you'll let, you'll let the, the, the college coach kind of yeah. Yeah. deal with that piece. Yeah. That's good. So I wanted to talk a little bit about um, biomechanics because you, you mentioned a, a couple times about, you know, some, some clients and, and because you mentioned individualization. So some clients uh, or some players are going to do bilateral squats. Some are going to do split squats. Some are going to do single leg squats. And uh, I know sometimes there's a, there's a choice that you give the athlete there. They kind of choose what they like better. Uh, but biomechanically, what are you, what would you look for to be like, okay, this person won't be doing their back squat. They'll be doing a single leg or a split variation yeah. instead of that. So I, the one, the one big thing, I guess, if you know, the bilateral versus unilateral choice would be, and, and again, we, we err more on the side of unilateral than we do bilateral. However, yeah. um, when we assess ankle range of motion, right? So if we have poor bilateral ankle range of motion, then that's going to affect their, their squat. And I'm sorry, I don't back squat, but we'll front squat more, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, some guys safety squat, right? So they'll tip forward. They're using their back as more as a lever. So that's strike number one, right? Now, if we have a case, so that type of athlete will regress down to, um, we're going to, we're doing ankle range of motion exercises. We're doing soft tissue around that lower, lower limb. Yep. Uh, and then we'll, we'll just recheck every now and then to see if it improves, right? Maybe every couple of weeks. And then for the unil or um, asymmetrical ankle range of motion, one really good one, one stuck one, yeah. that'll cause this rotation, right, in bilateral stance or bilateral squatting. So they will be regressed to the single leg position. Yeah. Or like single leg uh, squatting positions, right? Yeah. And so, sorry. So, so it's, and again, we're, we're not, we're not really, you know, in the off season we do, we will we'll go heavy heavier on, on some bilateral work but in season we'll go heavier on the unilateral work right and any bilateral work that we do for those who can on the gym wear are going at high speeds anyway so the loads are much lighter right yeah so yeah uh so with regards to the the asymmetrical ankle range of motion that you see when you're working even because even when you get into a, a single leg stance, like a single leg squat, you're still going to see. So irrespective of its, you know, ankle dorsiflexion, you're still going to see a little bit of movement with regards to knee position, hip position, and therefore then spine position. So all the way up the kinetic chain, you're going to see kind of these shifts. How do you manage those? Because obviously you're still working on the ankle range of motion, as you said, but how are you kind of monitoring that, cueing that? when the client, when, sorry, when, when the athlete is actually doing that movement? Yeah. Uh, well, remember the, the, ben, the benefit of, the benefit of regressing that type of case is, okay, we're not fixed in a bilateral stance. We're not fixed by a huge implement like a barbell, right? Mm. So there's kind of like, there's kind of nowhere to go for those athletes. Yeah. When we get to the unilateral work, there's a little bit more play involved where they can, they can get into that position. And maybe, you know, in terms of controlling depth, we may have to control depth on that particular side. If it's that, if it's that bad, right. Yeah. If a split squat stance or an RFE stance, we usually do control the depth, but in relation to the spine, if they're getting enough ankle range of motion and keeping the spine erect, mm -hmm. then we're in a good place. You know, it's not going to be perfect, but, but as we're continuing down that road of increasing that range of motion at that ankle, will be able to control their, their body stance. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we'll be able to get in a more efficient position. So yeah. that, that's a, that's a good, and, and sometimes, you know what, Adam, like, we're not gonna, we may not bring them back to bilateral stance, you know, we, yeah. we not maybe a long time for them to kind of really ingrain that pattern. So um, it's not a game changer or it's not, you know, a must, I have to get this guy back to bilateral squatting. That's not the case at all. You know, yeah. I actually would rather prefer them to be able to buy, you know, jump squat efficiently before that they can handle a big load, you know, because the load, the load on the, we use, we use jump squatting at certain percentages of body weight as a, as a, a good rate of force exercise, you know, yeah. rate, of, rate of force development exercise. So, so would, I would want them to be able to get back with a real light load, 10%, 20% of their body weight and be efficient, controlling their spine, moving at the ankle before they can get back to heavy loaded bar type squatting, bilateral squatting activities. Does yeah. That makes sense? Yeah. No, I love it. Yeah. Uh, okay. So 
I just want to kind of swing back a little bit to the uh, workload monitoring that you were talking about. And how would you, if, if you were to, because I'm sure you do these, the same kind of thing, same kind of questionnaire with your kind of private clients. Uh, but is there kind of a suggestion that you have for that questionnaire that you give a, a, a client? So if I've got trainers who are listening, mm-hmm. who want to develop something like that for their own clients, yeah. What are the key areas that you're going to have? I know you mentioned sleep, you mentioned um, nutrition, mood, sickness, like are they feeling, you know, right. throat sore, so those yeah. kinds of things. What kind of things would you have? Would you just keep it as like a, a zero to 10 or a one to 10 score? And we, yeah. We do it out of five, just okay. to a little bit more control. It's, it's easier. When we have too many choices to choose from, it, it could get, get kind of, you know, um convoluted if you will you know yeah. so so we keep it on a scale of five um and you know mood sleep quality sleep hours those are really going to kind of talk about management or or um current status of of hormone levels right mm-hmm. so irritable you know frustrated or or um you know poor mood could could directly reflect you know, cortisol levels, you know, and, and kind of those pro-hormones that want that kind of rele- relegate our mood, but also kind of our recovery levels. So those are big ones for me. Um, number of sleep hours, obviously, is we all know that floor. Um, I don't think there is a ceiling with the number of sleep, you, you know, how much yeah. sleep you can get. You know, I think yeah. it may be a concern if you're, you know, <laughs> narcoleptic and, and always want to sleep. But, <laughs> but I mean, you know, if if you're, in a, if you're in an intense training phase and you're only getting five hours of sleep and your restlessness is really high, then, you know, there's, there's some concern there for recovery and, and all that stuff. Um, the other one, um, uh, sleep, recovered sleep hours. Yeah. Um, those are pretty much the big rocks. And, and, and are you sick? Are you, are you feeling, you know, you, is your immune system compromised? You, do you, are you trying to shake a cold for a long period of time? Mm-hmm. Do you have any new injuries, right, that you have to negotiate around and we have to kind of plan around? So if you're a client, you know, it's like, she's my, sh- my, geez, my shoulder's bothering me. If, that, if your trainer doesn't know that and you're still doing the same exercises, then, you know, if you're doing an overhead press where you should be doing a landmine press, then, you know, you definitely should, should know that information, right? Yeah. And as yeah. a trainer, it's like you're providing more of an, an individualized approach to the, or, or more appropriately, a, a, you know, a prescription for the needs of your clients. So that's a, that kind of brings that, that um, relationship a little closer when you know that your performance coach is trying to dial in the best program for you. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Like I, I use a, I've got a questionnaire that I use for my own clients. Uh, I think it's got eight questions on it. Um, you know, I, I use a, t- a scale to 10, but five definitely makes sense. Makes things really simple. Um, as long, I mean, look, we came up with, you know, with the five, cause we use Kitman labs. Um, I, I liked that simplicity. Um, but each one of your numbers kind of, it should have a kind of a, you know, an indicator of what it means, a definition, you, you yeah. know, you know, um, you know, our our red score which is a you know can be a five or a one you know would be you're in the tank it's terrible you know yeah and you know the top green score that would be i feel fantastic right so so there's definitive there's definitive kind of explanations for each one of them and when you get them to 10 and, and i found at least you know um, yeah it's like all right there's too many there's too many definitions that you know that the three four and five could be really close <laughs> you know it's, yeah it's just like six seven and eight so do you allow half scores <laughs> like people to go in between? No, no, we do. We do. We'll take, we'll take, uh, you know, half, you know, hours in terms of the, you know, yeah. hey, I slept four hours and 30 minutes or something like that. Or I got up at five 30 or I got, yeah, I got up at five 30 and I went to bed, you know, the night before at eight or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I always wonder that when you start bringing down those numbers to five, it's like, well, somebody like, well, I'm not quite at a, at a four, but I'm not a three. So I'll put myself yeah. as a three and a half and I'll yeah, make myself. Yeah, yeah. Right. Sure. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I wanted to kind of push forward a bit and, and speak to you now about something that I know 
Um, you've done a lot of work in, and this is, uh, I believe, part of the um, optimizing adaptations of performance uh, thing that you did with uh, uh, Kevin Neald and uh, James Laval. Yeah. And um, you looked a lot and you, you do a lot with blood chemistry analysis. And this mm -hmm. is probably, I don't know how often that you do this, whether it's a lot in season or whether it's uh, primarily in the off season, but can you just talk about that and what specific markers you're looking for with that? And then yeah. we'll, we'll get into what they all mean. Sure, sure. Um, two things. One, I'm not a blood chemist, you know, and I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't study it in school at all. So, but you know, the um, I really found value in it because because of recovery, because of what I was prescribing in terms of diet, because of what I was putting on the shelves in terms of supplementation. Right, um, mm -hmm. Carl Val, who's out of Boston, um, we started discussing it years ago, like seven, eight years ago, and then he was doing some consultation work with inside tracker. And that was my first exposure to analyzing your blood work. Right. And I always had heard Olympians and different sports looked at blood work. I never really heard of the team based approach to analyzing blood work, but we had a simple, you know, CDC panel at, at the beginning of every year, but that's just like, you know, where are your macros at? Where, where's your cholesterol? Like all those mm -hmm. kinds of things, you know, simple ones, normal health ones. And um, Carl really educated me on, on a, this is important, you know, and, and at the time I was inside tracker, I had 15, 15 markers that we were looking at real easy to use. So I just didn't want to miss anything, you know, and, and as those, as I learned that and conversations became with other strength coaches in, in, in the industry and, and some in hockey was like, yeah, well, like we're based on, we know if they're deficient in vitamin D. Mm -hmm. So we know that they're, we're going to give them an extra dose. If, if we assume this guy is low on vitamin D and we're only giving him 5,000. I, uh, I use then we're, we're kind of missing the boat cause they really need 10, you, you know? So, um, that was, that was interesting to me from a prescription standpoint of what we have to give the guys. Right. And then I learned about Jim's work, brought him in for our strength coaches society, uh, educational, uh, meetings in the summertime. Yeah. Um, and then he just blew me away. Right. It, it, it blew me. I read his books. I read the blood never lies, which is a, meant a great text. And then the metabolic code. And I was like, man, I'm, I think I'm missing something from, you know, a fatigue standpoint, you know, we should be looking at this. We should be ahead of this. Mm -hmm. And then that's going to drive our supplement offerings, food intake, maybe a particular guy shouldn't be having something, you know, um, that they have frequently. And it's really kind of kicking up immune system um, responses. Right. So, so I wanted to be more detailed. I, I just didn't want to put gas in the engine. I wanted to put the right gas. I wanted to put the perfect oil in the engine, you know, transmission fluid, all the kind of common analogies you have as the yeah. performance coach working with high performance machines. You know? <laughs> and so so yeah. I, I really, I didn't, I wanted to be as precise as possible. And then Jim's education has allowed me to look into that deeper. Um, we measure blood work three times a year. Okay. Uh, you know, that third one's hard to get because it's, it's closer to March. You know, we'll do the beginning of the year, right around Christmas time, early January. And then before we go into the playoffs, right. And, um, everybody from the results of that get a prescription of how much they need in terms of, Hey, maybe a guy shouldn't have whey protein. They'll, they'll go more plant-based, yeah. you know, for the time being, and, and some guys need a higher dose of vitamin D and, and, and all that. Some guys may be sensitive to caffeine. Right. So, but, through a, a more advanced panel, we know what it is. You know, an interesting thing that kept creeping up in the reports was like trace minerals were shot, you know? So mm -hmm. some guys, selenium, copper, biotin were low and some guys, magnesium and copper and, 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 and you know, all, all these interesting things. I was like, but they're all minerals. Why are all these popping up, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, a multivitamin is not gonna, <laughs> it's not gonna help with that. So in, in Jim's response, it was like, you know, you guys are living in acid all the time, right? So we're anaerobic machines, we're, we're, we're anaerobic animals, you know, yeah. the, the game is built basically around that the structure of the game is built around that with shift length. Um, so that made a lot of sense to me. And then we kind of upped a, a certain offering to the supplement to the, to the supplements that we can get the players that was a heavy trace mineral 
you know, supplement, you know, yeah. and, and uh, because, because, sorry, because uh, trace minerals are a huge fuel source for anaerobic metabolism, right? Yeah. And in Jim's explanations, when, when you deplete those and the next place it's going to look for that, those materials, uh, those trace minerals is in your bone. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh boy, like, you know, we don't want, I sure don't want to do that. You know what I mean? You're, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul in a way. But yeah, so, so there's, there's a lot of cool aha moments. I, I think, you know, when you have this stuff dialed in and when you have the knowledge of what a particular athlete needs from a, from a, uh, um, IV therapy type thing, yep. then, then you know exactly what they need. Right. And, and you mm-hmm. can really enhance the recovery in the right way. And one last key point to add is you can do all the nutritional interventions you want. You can have a great supplement offering, great, you know, training table or whatever have you. But if the gut is mice because you don't have, as Jim says, good bugs down there, you know, mm-hmm. digesting everything, absorbing everything, then you're in deep shit. You know, yeah. you, if you don't tight junctions open in the gut, food gets in there. Right. And it's supposed to be digested well from the good bugs you know, the, the layman's explanation, right? And then all of a sudden, immune autoimmune response is fighting off that food and now you have an intolerance to it, right? Yeah. So that was like, oh boy. You know, it's just, there's there's things as coaches will say like, you know, yeah, I, I, I learned, you know, I go to a seminar and I, and I heard this guy speak and I just felt dumb when I left. <laughs> I get that a lot. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I do get that a lot speak, hearing a lot of people in our industry and, you know, it's uh, it's motivating, it's humbling, it's it's, you know, it, it's kind of feeds that thirst of like, I, I got to learn, I got to learn this and, and can't miss this because I don't want to do it wrong. You know what yeah. I mean? I want to provide the best. So that's yeah. kind of how I got into really looking at it, you know, and analyzing to my fault. I, I will tell you, I'm sitting on a pile of <laughs> blood work stuff that I, I, I need to get into. A, I need to get into a massive database. Yeah. Like Kevin Neal, when Kevin Neal was working with me, he was, amazing about taking 15 well actually at the time i think it was 12 years of all my training data and putting it into some sort of manageable file that now we can really look at things in greater detail and i've kept that going um, yeah but i need to do that with the blood work you know <laughs> so it's kind of like that and, and there's a lot more to it than just you know jump scores and things like that there's a lot of different markers that we have to look at but but it's like that bio with the trace minerals it's like i can tell you that subjectively because i looked at all the reports and then this this just kept kept coming up you, you know yeah so i'd like to have some more concrete organized evidence to say to all the strength coaches hey you know if, if you're if you're the characteristics of your sport are this or your event if you're an olympian then you really need to supplement with more of more of this you know yeah. so anyway Awesome. Uh, and I actually think that that's a great place to, to finish off part one, because we'll continue that conversation. We'll talk a little bit more about getting back, getting it normalized, figuring out what might be causing some of those issues, those inflammatory responses uh, in part number two. So we'll chat then. State of the Industry Podcast. I'll be back.